Now, while we're getting ready to listen and to learn together, let's watch this video. Sure, everyone thinks it is easy until something tests them and they lose their temper. Patience is hard. It must be practiced and cultivated. Otherwise, anger will be the first response to anything that's not part of your plan. And on this earth, most of your life will have nothing to do with your plan. People will hurt you. Neighbors will borrow things and not return them. Relatives will ask you for money that you'll never see again. Your patience will be tested every day. And how will you respond? Will you rage at the inconveniences, allowing your anger to take control of you? Or will you exercise patience and retain control of your words and actions? Patience is hard. It requires you to be rooted in something much deeper and more substantial than the earthly circumstances that test it. It takes prayer and practice and a lot of time, which all require patience. Yes, patience is hard. In fact, impatience is a part of our sinful nature. You realize, of course, that the lack of patience is embedded in us as a result of the fall of humankind. Left to our own desires, our carnal, fleshly self will always be impatient. It's only the redeemed person, the person who has, by grace through faith, come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, who has any chance of exercising true patience in his or her life. When we're saved, you see, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And as He dwells in us, He begins to produce fruit in and through our lives, including patience. As He dwells in us, our old sinful nature dies and our new holy nature takes its place. Paul put it this way, Galatians 5 and verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Now that doesn't mean that we will no longer struggle with impatience. No. In the very next verse, in fact, Paul writes, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Where am I? (laughs) Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, literally, this is a continuing action tense in the Greek. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us keep on keeping in step with the Spirit. You see, it's a daily choice to die to our old sinful nature and to live in our new holy nature. Each and every day, these two natures are engaged in spiritual battle within us. Paul describes the battle this way, Galatians 5.17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. Now you and I know that's true from experience, don't we? I mean, those of us who are serious about our relationship with Christ, those who are sincerely making every effort to follow Him wholeheartedly, know all about this daily struggle 
firsthand. And perhaps there's no better illustration of the reality of the spiritual battle within us than the conflict between impatience, our sinful nature, and patience, our new spiritual nature. So let's talk about how we can win the battle this morning, shall we? We're in the midst of a series of lessons on the fruit of the Spirit found here in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Let's read these two key verses out loud together. Read them with me. They're up here on the screen. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now we began the series by looking at love. Then we discussed joy. Last Sunday we talked about peace. That brings us then to the fourth fruit among these nine Christian virtues, and that's patience. Galatians 5.22 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Now as we began today's lesson, I ask you to turn your Bible with me to James chapter 5. Perhaps there's no better Scripture passage on the subject of patience than James' words right here in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And so I want us to focus in on those verses this morning. Follow along in your Bible as I read. James chapter 5, we pick it up with verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Six times, by the way, James uses the word patience or patient or perseverance, all of which, by the way, come from exactly the same Greek root word here in this Scripture passage. As we take a closer look at the fruit of patience from this text, let's begin with the demand for patience. There are many different situations or circumstances in our lives that demand patience from us. When is patience needed the most? James offers three specific examples. Number one... When circumstances are uncontrollable. Patience is demanded of us when circumstances are uncontrollable. And the example James gives us is that of a farmer. I like the way that the message paraphrases the last part of verse 7 and the first part of verse 8. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Read this with me. You see farmers do this all the time. Sorry about that. Waiting for their valuable crops to mature. Patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. I like that phrase. Be patient like that. (laughs) And when you think about it, waiting is a lot of the farmer's life. Now, I'm not saying that a farmer isn't busy. A farmer is very busy 24-7, 365 days a year. But... Think about it. Once he plants a crop, 
And there's not a whole lot he can do to hurry up the process, is there? I mean, he just has to be patient. So much of what happens is completely beyond his control. He can't control the weather. He can't control which seeds sprout and which don't. He can't control how quickly they grow. He can't really even control the market value of his crop. He just has to be patient. And again, James says that you and I are to be patient like that. We need to learn that there are just some situations and circumstances in life that are uncontrollable. And it doesn't do us any good to worry or fret or get stressed or try to control them. I heard the story about a four-year-old boy who was traveling in the car with his mother and began constantly asking, as four-year-olds will do, yeah, when are we going to get there? 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 I mean, over and over and over again. Finally, his mother got so irritated, she blurted out, we have over a hundred miles to go. I do not want you to ask me again, when are we going to get there? And the boy was silent for a long period of time. And all of a sudden, he timidly asked his mom, Mom, will I still be four years old when we get there? (laughs) I read that and I just smiled and I thought, how cute that is, but from the mouths of babes, huh? I mean, that's exactly how we are in our lives. We smile, but the truth is we need to learn that there are some situations, some circumstances in life that are just uncontrollable. And it doesn't do us any good to worry or fret or get stressed or to try to control them. We just have to go with it. So first, we learn from the farmer that patience is demanded when circumstances are uncontrollable. Number two, when people are unchangeable. Patience is demanded from us when people are unchangeable. And the second example James gives us is that of the prophets. In verse 10, James writes, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, what was the responsibility? What was the job description of a prophet? He stood between God and God's people to denounce their sins and to pronounce God's judgment upon them in hopes that they would change their behavior. That's a great job description, huh? (laughs) I mean, and how do the people respond to these prophets? Well, they persecuted them and they killed them. (laughs) Why? Because people resist change. All people resist change. Now folks, as James says here, it took a lot of patience in the face of suffering in order to be a prophet. It's interesting to me that this word patience in both the Galatians passage and in James comes from the same Greek word, makrothumos. It's a compound word made up of two words. Makro, which means long, and thumos, which means to uh, heat or to boil. So think about that for a minute. You put the two together, macrothumos, it's a word that means it takes a long time to boil. That's a good word picture, isn't it? It takes quite a bit to get them heated up. It takes a long time for them to become angry or lose their temper. Which is why the King James Version's word, long-suffering, isn't really so bad of a word. Long-suffering. Macrothumos. The point is, when we're dealing with people, especially people who are stubbornly resistant to change, which 
by the way, is everybody, right? <laughs> then we've got to have a great deal of patience with people. So second, we learn from the prophets that patience is demanded when people are unchangeable. Number three, when problems are unexplainable. Patience is demanded of us when problems are unexplainable. And the third example that Job gives is that of, or James gives is that of Job. In verse 11, he writes, You have heard of Job's patience. Well, of course. Everybody's heard of Job's patience, right? His patience is legendary. There's a whole book in the Old Testament describing Job's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I mean, Job had it all, and then he lost it all, actually, in the course of a couple of terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. He went from the mountaintop of prosperity, the deep valley of adversity. He suffered physically, financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, you name it. If anybody ever had the right to ask, why me, Lord? Job did. But he hung in there. Macro thumos. (laughs) He persevered. Even when, by the way, none of his misfortune made any sense at all. All. Did it? Didn't make any sense at all. I mean, his friends tried to figure it out for him. They just made it worse, I think. No sense at all. And because of his patience, Job's an amazing example to us today. So, third, we learn from Job's patience that patience is demanded when problems are unexplainable. So three examples then of the demand for patience in our lives. When is patience needed the most? The farmer teaches us that patience is demanded when circumstances are uncontrollable. The prophets teach us that patience is demanded when people are unchangeable. And Job teaches us that patience is demanded when problems are unexplainable. Now, that's pretty much the whole of life, isn't it? (laughs) When's patience demanded? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, exactly. Which brings us to the second main thought today, and that's the design for patience. How can we learn to be more patient? What's the blueprint for practicing patience in our lives? What steps can we take to allow the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit of patience in and through our lives. Well, it seems to me that the design for patience includes at least these five helpful hints here in James chapter 5. First of all, we need to look for the Lord's coming. We need to live our lives in a way that we are always looking for the Lord's coming. Three times, once each in verses 7, 8, and 9, James reminds us that Jesus Christ's second coming is imminent. Verse 7, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Verse 8, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9, the Lord is standing at the door. So, how is that related then to allowing the Holy Spirit to develop the fruit of patience in our lives? Well, it's very simple. When we live our lives with an eternal perspective, always living each and every day with the hope that this could in fact be the day that Jesus comes again, that'll do wonders for our patience. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, Paul talks about our patience inspired by hope. 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that phrase. Patience inspired by hope. Our hope is what? Our hope is heaven. <laughs> our hope is Jesus is coming again to take us home. To be with Him. We will be redeemed. We will be raptured. We will be with Him forever. <laughs> and that is our hope that wells up within us. And patience is inspired by that hope. See, if we live each and every day of our lives with the expectation, even the anticipation, this could be the day. Did you get up this morning and, and as you face the day, did you say, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come quickly. This could be the day. Let this be the day that you come. Try that. It'll change your whole perspective on life. So the first step in the design for patience is to look for the Lord's coming. Number two, we need to leave it to the Lord's judgment. We need to learn how to leave it to the Lord's judgment. Read James 5 and verse 9 out loud with me. Don't grumble about each other or God will judge you. For look, the great judge is coming. Notice the capital J there. <laughs> the great judge is coming. And the point is simply this. If we would learn to leave the judgment up to the judge, the Lord, instead of being so quick to be judges ourselves, it would do wonders for our patience. But we're so quick to be judgmental. A young man was very upset with his mother. They had argued, and so at work that day he wrote her an angry letter listing all of the things that he felt were wrong with her. <laughs> it was a very nasty letter. And after sealing the envelope and putting a stamp on it, he handed it to a co-worker who was going by the post office to mail it for him. Well, the co-worker knew generally what was in the letter, so he put it in his pocket. Maybe he'll have second thoughts about this. I can always mail it tomorrow. Now sure enough, the next day, the young man was having incredible regret. I wish I'd never written that letter. I'd give anything to have it back. And imagine his surprise when his friend reached in his pocket and handed him the letter. Well, let me tell you something, folks. That's not real life. <laughs> we don't get them back, do we, in real life? In real life, we make snap judgments and we say something or we do something and our impatience gets us into trouble and we can't take it back. We don't get a do-over. What we said has been said. What we've done has been done. And we live with regret. It would have been so much better if we just left it up to the Lord. Look at these Scriptures with me. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and He will deliver you. Lamentations 3, verse 26. It's good to wait quietly for the deliverance of the Lord. The key word there is quietly. <laughs> Some of us wait for the Lord. You know, We're grumbling, we're whining, we're complaining, we're crying, we're griping all the time we're waiting. We're to wait quietly for the Lord. See, we've got to learn how to let go and how to let God work it out in His timing and in His way. That's the hard part for us because we want to be in control. We want to do it our way and in our timing. And we've got to quit being so nitpicky and so fault-finding and so judgmental and let God have it. 
So the second step in the design for patience is to leave it to the Lord's judgment. Number three is to learn from the Lord's testing. Learn from the Lord's testing. Again, look at James 5 and verse 10. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I like that phrase, patience in the face of suffering. The fact is, suffering, problems, trials, hard times, that's what teaches us patience, isn't it? Read James 1 verses 2 and 3 out loud with me. Is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy, for when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. That's how patience grows, is in the crucible of suffering. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Romans 5 and verse 3, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. Stories told of a new Christian who went to a longtime Christian for some advice. And this new Christian asked the old time Christian, Will you please pray for me to be more patient? And the older Christian says, Sure. So they knelt together, and the older Christian began to pray, Lord, send tribulation in the morning, send hard times and difficulties in the afternoon, send pain and suffering in the evening. And at that point, the younger Christian jumped to his feet and said, Whoa, wait a minute, no, that's not what I asked you to pray for. I asked you to pray that I would be more patient. And the older Christian said, Ah, but that's how you learn patience. It's in the hard times, it's in the suffering, it's in the tribulations that God teaches us to be patient. See, sometimes we have to remember that God's testing us. We're in the classroom when we're in the waiting room. And God is testing us. How are we going to do? Are we going to wait quietly, patiently for Him? So the third step in the design for patience is to learn from the Lord's testing. Number four, we need to lean on the Lord's faithfulness. I am so glad that we can lean on the Lord's faithfulness. James 5 verse 11 reminds us, we remember how patient Job was and how the Lord finally helped him. The Lord did this because He is so merciful and kind. I really like the honesty of that phrase, the Lord finally helped him. (laughs) Do you notice that? Finally. You ever feel that way? Finally. may have taken 42 chapters in the book of Job to get it done, but the Lord was indeed faithful to Job. And you know what? God was working all the time in His own timing and in His own way when Job was waiting. You see, we need to understand that delay does not equal denial. Delay does not equal denial. Many times, God is working behind the scenes while He has us waiting. And we've got to remember, He is faithful. He will never, never, never fail us. Don't miss these Scriptures. Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait expectantly, trusting God to help, for He has promised. Don't miss that word expectantly. When you're waiting, are you expecting? Are you anticipating God's answer? Or do you know He's working for you? Micah 7, verse 7, I wait confidently for God. There's that word confidence. Do you have confidence while you're waiting? God is in fact working even as you're waiting. Let's read Isaiah 49, verse 23 out loud together. 
The Lord says, no one who waits for My help will ever be disappointed. Isn't that a great Scripture? (laughs) No one who waits for Me, God says, will ever, ever be disappointed. I will be faithful. Write this down in your notes. While I am waiting, God is working. While I am waiting, God is working. Working. The fact is, what God is accomplishing in me while I'm waiting is often way more important than what I'm waiting for. Yes. Did you hear that? I thought this video illustrates it so well. Let's watch it together. Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? All throughout the Bible, we see God telling people to wait. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for a child. Jacob waited and worked for Rachel to be his wife for seven years, and then worked for her for an additional seven more. Joseph waited 13 years for the fulfillment of his God-given dream that he would one day be a ruler. The children of Israel waited 40 years before entering into the Promised Land. David waited over 10 years from the time he was anointed to become king until he was actually crowned king. Noah waited 120 years from the time God told him to build the ark until the time of the flood actually occurred. So why does God make us wait on the dream he has placed inside of us? Here's the answer. What God does in us while we wait is more important than what we are waiting for. I thought that was a great reminder to us that oftentimes what God is accomplishing in us while we are waiting is what is the most important part of the agenda. God is always faithful. We can count on Him. And so the fourth step in the design for patience is to lean on the Lord's faithfulness. He will never, ever fail us. Number five, we need to live for God's Glory for the Lord's glory it needs to be our focus that as we're living our lives, we are living for the Lord's glory. I like the way the message paraphrases James 5 and verse 12. Since you know He cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language can't be used against you. I believe that the bottom line here really is integrity. You see, an honest person, a person of integrity, doesn't need to swear by anything to add credibility or weight to his or her statement. Yes means yes, no means no. They say what they mean, they mean what they say. They are truthful, they are trustworthy, and the fact is, everybody knows it. And everything they say, as well as everything they think and do, brings glory and honor to God. The bottom line is that we should concentrate living our lives for the Lord's glory. We shouldn't be so concerned about us. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's not about our image or what people think about us. It's about Him and what people think about Him. And we are to live for His glory, demonstrating integrity in everything we do and we say and we think. It would be wonders for our patience if we would do that. Again, I think of Job. He lost everything. I mean, he had two horrible days. <laughs> and even his wife was saying to him, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And it says in Job 2 and verse 10, in all this, he did not sin. That's just amazing to me. 
He didn't sin. He didn't compromise his integrity. He didn't give in to the temptation to just chuck it all. No, he trusted God and he gave God the glory. He said, it's not about me. It's about Him. This isn't all about my agenda. It's about God's agenda. It's about Him getting the glory that He alone deserved. So the fifth step in the design for patience is to live for the Lord's glory. So let's summarize. How can we learn to be more patient? What steps can we follow to allow the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of patience in our lives? James offers five suggestions here. They're good ones, I think. Number one, we need to learn to look for the Lord's coming. Live every day with a sense of expectation, a sense of anticipation. This could be the day that the Lord comes again. We need to have that hope within us at all times. Number two, we need to leave it to the Lord's judgment. Quit being so nitpicky and fault-finding ourselves. Quit being so judgmental and let God handle it. Third, we need to learn from the Lord's testing. Sometimes when we're in the waiting room, we need to realize it's the schoolroom and God is teaching us. He is testing us. We need to learn from that. And then fourth, we need to lean on the Lord's faithfulness. He will never, 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 never fail us. He is always faithful. We have His track record from the past. And you know that in the future, He will always be there for you. And fifth, we need to live for the Lord's glory. It's not about me. It's about Him. And giving Him the glory through my life. The fruit of the Spirit. This morning we focus on this fourth virtue of the Christian life. The fourth quality of the inner character of a genuine, authentic Christ follower, and that is patience. Galatians 5.22 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Macro thumos. <laughs> a long time to boil. As we discuss the demand and the design for patience in today's lesson, let me just ask you this. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you keeping step with the Spirit and winning this spiritual battle for patience in your daily life? Is it obvious that you are Spirit-filled because that patience is being consistently demonstrated in your daily walk with Christ? When other people look at you, they go, how does He do it? How does she do it? How come they're so patient in the middle of all the stuff that they're going through? That's how people ought to look at us as Christians. It ought to amaze them because we have supernatural patience produced by the Holy Spirit in and through our life.